So if we're doing our jobs, if we're helping develop and build skills on people, are they growing their careers? And again, it's not just growing their careers up. We're just looking at talent movement. Are people moving up the chain? Are they moving across the chain? And are they building? And so how are we doing in that area also becomes important. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Talent Playbook Podcast. My name is Jason Ferrara. I'm the Chief Marketing Officer at Outmatch and your host for the podcast. Our podcast focuses on talent discovery, both the discovery of talent for your company or organization, as well as uncovering your talents and your path through your career. So during each podcast, we highlight someone who's responsible for talent discovery in their organization or someone who has found their purposeful path in life. Our guest in this episode is one of the newest outmatchers, Robin Stenzel. Today, she's our chief solutions officer. But what's most interesting in this conversation is where Robin's path has taken her from consulting to retail to the travel industry to manufacturing. Robin has been a practitioner throughout her career, so we get some really rich descriptions of the issues that HR practitioners face on a daily basis. Her view on what it's like to go from a larger company to a smaller company, those lessons learned, the actions valued in both places. Now, here's a hint. Being scrappy is one of those qualities valued in both size companies. Robin talks about how she defines a successful employee she uses the term grit, but also don't want to forget about passion and curiosity. And we spend lots of time on culture and the importance of being intentional when you build a culture and intentional when you help others learn and live that culture in an organization. And there are lots of other gems from Robin, so I'm really excited to have you hear this conversation there are a few construction noises in the background. Robin had a little bit of work going on at her home when she recorded this. So I like to think of it as the sound of progress, not really distracting, but you may hear them. So without any more delay, please enjoy the Talent Playbook Podcast with Robin Stenzel. Robin, thanks for joining the podcast today. Uh, I'm really excited to talk to you, really for two reasons. Um, one is just in getting to know you and hearing your your thoughts about business and, and your experience. And and two is really to introduce you to everybody as the newest outmatcher. I think you're probably you're probably the newest outmatcher that we have. So welcome to the podcast and welcome to the company. Thanks. Excited to be here. I think the first thing we should do is just kind of set the stage for for listeners. So um, why don't you go ahead and tell us, you know, you, what your role is at Outmatch and, and what that um, you know, the, the responsibilities, the, the purview that that role has. Sure. So I am the chief solutions officer. And what that entails is working with our go-to-market team, um, really thinking about how are we approaching our customers? How are we thinking about having sat in the seat of many of our customers? What does that look like? What does it look like at the end side of it? Um, working with the product team to see if the products we're producing, again, also really work with how HR and other managers work and how they do their work from day to day. Is it ease of use? What does that look like? Is it intuitive? Um, does it hit their needs? Those kinds of things. So providing feedback in there and then really kind of combining those things to kind of help us tell the story. So also getting to work with you and your team as we create the story. I think the Great. best part about the job is we're kind of a little bit too of figuring it out as we go. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I definitely want to get to that concept of figuring out as you, as we go, um, there is a, there is a healthy, um, portion of that here. It's one of the things I like about, about here. And frankly, one of the things I like about smaller organizations. So I, I definitely want to get there in the, in the conversation. Um, so the, I guess the next question I'd like to ask you is before, before outmatch, um, let's talk a little bit about your career pre outmatch, you know, how you got started in your career and, and where you were right before here. Sure. So I'd like to tell you, I had a a very purposeful thought as I came out of college, but really did not. It got even to the point in college, probably just at the stage, maybe from the beginning of my career sort of expands into it, of um, actually creating my own major. I really think it was about how do I graduate? Um, Because I had a lot of interest and I kept coming up with these great ideas of what I should get a degree in and these made up jobs that no one was going to ever hire me for. Second grade teacher for teaching economics. Not yeah. really practical. So, Although probably um, a great idea. This is what I thought. Uh, as I came out of my out of school, I spent some time in consulting, which is interesting. If you have no idea what you want to do, that someone hires you to be a consultant and then go tell other people how to do things. And so working in with colleges and universities to help them target low-end or non-donors to raise funds was sort of my entry into that. Great experience. Got to go to a lot of different places, moved around a lot, and then said, okay, this moving around thing is great, but what's next? And had a passion for retail. Um, Maybe it was a passion for shopping. I'm not sure. but Let's call that the same thing. Let's call it the same thing. Maybe the same thing. So I got into a retail environment, working in operations. Um, And what I noticed eventually was when I had been doing consulting, we had a lot of data and analytics as we worked with the team there to really be able to say if someone was producing or not producing. The fundraising business was really created so that you didn't have just volunteers. Maybe you, you did this as a, I did it as a college student. Maybe you did. Someone takes you as a volunteer. You come in, you volunteer, you raise funds, you do terrible. No one stops you. You keep losing money and you go on. This organization was about how do you hire and potentially coach and then eventually maybe even fire people who aren't raising the right amount of funds. But you did that through data. And as we got into, as I got into my HR or kind of my retail career, we didn't have that data to be able to coach our employees in the right way. And so I felt like if we could start to hire different kinds of people, both from the manager side and the employee side, we could start to do some things different. And that I tell that story because I think it sort of sets the tone and kind of permeates throughout my career. So um, I basically begged my way into HR and spent some time there. And then really kind of my HR career took off. I've worked um, in small organizations like Outmatch, helping start and create the HR function for a different uh, consulting firm, Uh, working in large companies like Delta Airlines, um, one of the retail organizations was Macy's department stores, and then also a smaller retailer as well. But then ending up kind of right before I came to Outmatch, focused, uh, spending my time with a large global manufacturer that was growing. We had an extreme amount of growth during the time that I was there um, and getting to play a lot of different roles in HR, as well as really helping an organization grow. We went from it being a $3 billion company to when I left $20 billion and doing all of that in under nine years. Wow. Okay. We'll come back. We'll come back to that, that growth, that growth story for sure. Well, you had, you had earlier, you had said, um, working without match uh, to, to work with our clients because you had sat in that seat. So the seat you're talking about is the, is that are those HR roles that you had? That's correct? right. That's right. Yeah. And so the, the, 
global manufacturer, the $20 billion company. You know, tell us a little bit about your role there and, and what, what, kind of, what kind of job is a, an HR role at a $20 billion company? Yeah, there's a lot of different ones. Um, so we focused in the paper and packaging space. And through growth, certainly changes, changes that. I actually came to the company as a consultant to help implement a talent management system. And when I got there, there were it was a very decentralized organization. And the goal was we want a process to do things like performance management. We want a process for how we recruit. We want a process for sex, succession planning. But we also want to meet the needs of these different businesses. So we want a little bit of flexibility. Can you figure that out for us? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. okay. Um, so started working with the HR leaders and the HR teams at the time. Uh, HR reported into the businesses and not even into a central HR function. And so really started working with those uh, the woman who was acting um, or wasn't acting. She was actually the VP of what was called HR services. So she had comp, then HR systems and had just picked up learning and development and recruiting was who I was reporting to. And she came to me and said, after about three months, Hey, you're really kind of helping us do this in a, in a way that's bringing us together. Why would, would you consider just staying on and being an employee? And I thought, well, hmm. one thing I thought was, gosh, we've made some choices that if I knew I had to live with, I may not have, I might've fought harder in a different direction. <laughs> Would have done um, it differently. But, yeah, but this seemed to work for them. So now I've got to live sure. with them. And so I stayed on and started to really create the talent function for that organization. And then I also had a generalist role though. So again, if you think about the company, this this word is probably relative depending on things. It felt small, 3 billion, 10,000 employees. You wore multiple hats. You did multiple things. But then as the company started to grow, we started to become more specialized. So different HR roles could happen would be that HR generalist role. You could have roles within talent, whether it's focused on helping create performance management systems, succession planning, um, really thinking about talent in that way. And how do you kind of grow and mobilize talent, learning roles. So how are you creating the content that helps people learn and develop compensation roles? How are we going to pay people benefits, working on systems? You could also project manage. So really a lot of variety um, and particularly more variety as the organization grew. The smaller, you wore multiple hats doing those things. As we get got bigger, you became more specialized in your role. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And, and definitely, um, small is a relative term. Yeah. Um, I, I generally think 3 billion is large, but I, I totally know what you mean. So, so I'd like to get back to your experience and, and we'll just jump around a little bit, but I want to, yeah. I want to talk about a couple of things. One is you started your career in, as a consultant and in operations and mm -hmm. then moved into, into human resources, human capital side of the business. So what, what in your uh, operations experiences helped inform, you know, you as a human capital professional? Yeah. I, I mean, I think a lot of different things. So, you know, each day as you, as you have these teams of people who are working with and for you, you're starting to think about, 
if I need you to do more, what is it that I can provide you? So from, a, again, kind of thinking human capital, what are the things people need to be successful in their job? As a manager, people are asking you about growth and opportunity. So how do you start to create and craft that story for people? Um, how do you know more about than just what you've done? Um, particularly when you just started because you have no real experience to go from. So how do you help start and create those stories and thinking about human capital? And then I think it's the part of there's that, that's the human side of it. But when you kind of step way back from it, there's also a number side that's types to get to how do we get productive? And so how many people do I need to reach X dollars of revenue? How many man hours is that going to take? What happens every time I turn a person over because they don't have something or what happens every time I hire the wrong person and what's the impact? So all of those things start to kind of form your human capital strategy and really kind of, I think, started to for me became the interesting operational part of a business in a different way. Yeah, I I love that answer. And, and one of the things I love about it is you've got this, this view of how a company runs that's different than if you just, again, in, in any discipline, right? If you started as your career in human resources or your career in, in marketing, I mean, I think about my time, started my career in sales, right? So my view of a business is a little broader than it might be had I just begun as, as a marketing professional, let's say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, then, and then I'd love to talk a bit about going from a larger to a smaller company. And you, you, know, you, had, mentioned, you had mentioned Delta and Macy's. Um, uh, those are also large organizations. You're not the first person I've interviewed who's on from a larger to a smaller company. Um, talk a little bit about that and making a decision to do that and then actually what it means day to day. So I've done that twice in my career. So after, so leaving Delta, I went from 72,000 employees, 11 billion in revenue to a company that was 72 employees mm-hmm. and under a hundred million in revenue. Mm-hmm. And I remember kind of that first day or the first realization when you kind of aren't doing all the normal onboarding things in your in your office and you, right. you're like, well, I need to create the HR strategy. And I said, here's what it is. And then I looked at myself and I said, well, now you need to go execute the HR strategy. Right. Right. Um, and I remember thinking, what have I done here? I mean, not only had I picked up and moved my life, I'm also in this very different place where my colleagues are different because they don't do what I do. So I can't run next door and say, hey, I can say, hey, what do you think about this? But they probably aren't going to give me the answer that I'm looking for. They'll give me a great perspective, though, and that's really what I learned. But that decision for me was really about, um, I think at that point in my career, was how do you really start to accelerate some career growth, um, and how do you get back to touching the business? So having been Mm -hmm. in Delta, which was fantastic, and I loved the organization, but you start to get a little bit, again, kind of bigger, a little bit more... um, specialized and sometimes you're not touching all of those pieces. And I felt like at that point, that was sort of one inflection in my career, kind of moving from manager director into again, kind of a more leadership role. How could you really start to connect back with the business? I think the second time in doing that was having gone from Westrock, which again, when I left 20 billion, 55,000 employees globally to outmatch 
really came back to some of those same reasons. Again, becoming very specialized, more narrow, and really wanting to be able to come back, connect back to the business, um, and that entrepreneurial spirit that you get. I actually had breakfast with a former coworker this morning, and he and I were talking, and I said, you know, it was really strange, and people who didn't live it don't understand the fact that we worked at a company up until about 15 billion that our CEO and we all used the word entrepreneurial Mm -hmm. because we'd grown so fast, even though we were a large organization, we were making, we were creating the processes. We were building the infrastructure of the organization. And so there was a lot of someone, one of the fellows I used to work with who's no longer there would use the words both grit and scrappy that you needed to work there. And I think as I kind of stepped back and as we started to grow, um, Westmark is a fantastic company and um, has a lot of great things, but that role became more and more narrow and deep, which is great. But again, you start to kind of maybe get a little bit disconnected, which is easy to do sometimes in an HR role if you're not really focused on it from the business and how do you get back in there and how do you, for me, it was, how do I gain that entrepreneurial spirit? How do I get scrappy and grit back? Yeah. Uh, you know, the the most interesting times I've had working at larger companies are when they were, they did have that entrepreneurial spirit. Um, and, it, and it wasn't across the entire company, right? Yeah. It was across a few departments or that sort of thing. And that is what, obviously, what I've liked about smaller companies in, in your example. I've created the strategy. Now, who goes and executes the strategy? Well, guess what? <laughs> That's you. <laughs> Nobody's sitting next to you doing that. <laughs> right. Um, but but also, I, I do think we're doing it a disservice if we don't say that a smaller company also has a bunch of collaboration there, too. So it's not just mm-hmm. you you alone. Um, and that opportunity in a much larger company is there as well. And I think that's what is the hallmark of, of really great large companies is that entrepreneurial spirit, the collaboration and that sort of thing. I think the collaboration piece that you mentioned is is just is so important. And I, I mentioned kind of, you know, in that that first time and going into a smaller organization and I didn't have this peer to go talk to. What I found, though, was if I went to my colleagues and talked to them who maybe weren't in my space, they made me think about my space in a different way. They challenged me to think about things differently and it allowed me and forced me to be more creative than to just sort of copy and paste how I may have done it the same way, which was fantastic. Yeah. 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 It's really, um, it's really great when you, when you have colleagues who can, who can get you in that mindset and, and help you do those things. Very, very important. So thank you for, for that. You know, I think that's a great description of your background and the, and the things that you thought were interesting. I'd, I'd like to spend the rest of the time that, that we're talking a little bit about the, the lessons that you've learned through your career and how you've applied them you know, to, okay. to the different, different organizations. So I think the, the first thing, you know, you've worked at a lot of different types of organization. How, how would, after, after being in those types of places, how would you define what a successful employee is at a company? Is there one definition? How would you define that? No, I I think there are multiple definitions, um, probably. You know, I think that you are most successful when you find the thing that you are passionate about, then you find something you're curious about. When you find something that, quite frankly, maybe puts you a little bit outside your comfort zone and requires you to do things differently. So maybe that is common across those things that makes it successful. And and again, I think hopefully when you feel those things, you get up every day, you're excited about what you 
can go do. I think the other piece to that I'd say that makes someone successful is someone, and something we've touched on, is somebody who can utilize the organization or collaborate across the organization, but is aware of all of the resources and starts to learn how to tap into those to create success. Yeah, that's that's great. So those are be passionate, um, curious, out, you know, ability to get outside your comfort zone, um, collaborate. So so can, do you have a, a good example of really positive collaboration in your career where you're like, gosh, the, the team we built or the group we have that really that that really hit the mark. That's exactly what we want. It's interesting that you asked that question because I was uh, thinking about this just this week. So I'll use an example from West Rock um, in our smaller days. In uh, uh, Gosh, we uh, started to really get focused on hiring college students and really building internships and the right internships. So the organization had gone through a period where we knew this was important, but we would just campus recruiting times came up, people went out. Maybe we hired some people, maybe we didn't hire people from um, campus, and we really didn't track or measure what we were doing. So we started to become very intentional about where we were going, what that looked like, what campuses we wanted to go to, and how we were going to measure success. Um, and so we started building a campus recruiting team. And so took someone who had no experience doing this. He came out of a retail environment because I had a bias towards the fact of you have to work really hard in retail, especially on the mm -hmm. front lines as a store manager. And he really wanted an HR career. And so I said, all right, well, you really have no experience in HR, but you've got a good background. Here's what I'd like you to go do. And so he started building that campus program and, and started building a team. And so as this program started coming together, we had these college students in the summer. And one day I said to my boss, hey, you know what would be really cool is if we brought all these students to our main uh, campus in Atlanta and did some sort of learning for them. It doesn't have to be about the company, but it can really be about what are the skills they need to go on either in school or if they're graduating. And then that way, they'll think of us in a good way if we ever do go to recruit them. And she said, great, go make that happen. And I said, okay, well, we need to do it in about four weeks. She said, yep, go do it. And so that team of this fellow, Matt, who started yeah. our campus program, his colleague, two of our learning, and even our, you know, then head of HR, because we've now become a little less decentralized. And I, I remember sitting in a conference room and creating this intern event. And, you know, the first year it went off, it was pretty good. We did some silly things like let's have 58 college students sit in a room and listen to each one present what they did for this the summer. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we broke it up over a couple of sessions, but we got feedback that that was not that they were interested, but maybe it was a little long. So we changed some things the next year. and We did it the next year. Well, this week um, happens to be the sixth year of that event. It's I'm happy to say I got a picture from my colleagues who are still carrying it on. And they're all in Richmond, Virginia, with over 200 students. So that 58 cool. has gone from well over 200. And they're still getting students who are passionate about it. Our CEO still shows up and goes bowling with them. I think last night was bowling night. Uh, it was definitely karaoke night because I got a video of some someone <laughs> singing uh, Neil Diamond, Sweet Caroline, and the whole oh, crowd. Classic. 
But really that program has stuck and it's something that not only do students ask about and differentiate and helps us grow the program, our leaders ask about it and they want to participate. And we started to see what we can really do and build from that campus effort. So it was a great time of bringing that across. And while that was kind of our HR team, it's grown into so many more people from so many more different facets from the business. And that was the part that was exciting to me is to see business leaders every year come to me and say, it's a great event. When's the next one? Right. What, what is it that, so, so great event. It sounds very fun. It sounds like you've been successful, but what is it about that event that makes it great? What is it about the sort of college angle of it that makes it great? I think there's a couple of things. I mean, so it is, I think it's great because it allows those students from different colleges to come together. Most of them are engineering students, so they have this common thread in their background, but they're looking at engineering from different ways, and they've had different experiences. So while we don't make them all 200 and some stand up and present and everyone else listen through that, we do do presentations. They do talk about what they're going to do. We actually, that part of it being uncomfortable, we put them in, in some situations where they're uncomfortable as well. So we'll give them a customer challenge and ask them to solve that problem. Last year, we said to them, we've got, you know, transporting food is something that's happening more with Uber Eats and DoorDash and things like that. How do we think about packaging and the role it plays in that? So let's take a customer and let's start to think about what that is. So we looked at Kentucky Fried Chicken and how might you transport that? And what happens today? So we actually had somebody go out, order Kentucky Fried Chicken through DoorDash, take pictures of what that looks like. How, how do we make that a better experience? And you start them to see them say, well, I'm not a designer, I'm an engineer, but we get them thinking in that way and taking that learning. Um, so they like that. They like the part of being with each other. And what they really like is the fact that these our leaders are coming in and sharing mm -hmm. their stories and their career experiences. The fact that you can have the CEO of a $20 billion company who's going to put on bowling shoes and start throwing balls with you is a pretty cool thing. And it's not something you get everywhere. Yeah, that's that's really great. I mean, I've known CEOs of really small companies who were, you know, non-existent to most of their employees. So that's that's really great. It makes me think of of um, culture and and the importance of of culture. I think that's a that's a something that that human capital teams and and frankly every business, every level of a business is talking about today. So, you know, let's talk a little bit about culture. I mean, how. How was it at Westrock that you have a culture where the CEO goes bowling with people? Like, how how is that a thing? And and where was that culture in the in the other organizations you worked for? How how do you create that? Let's just kind of unpack that concept. A little yeah, bit. I will say um, we were very intentional about it at Westrock. So, and and we got there by not being intentional and then having to become intentional through growth. So we, um, you know, remember said starting out 3 billion in revenue um, as the company did a, one of its first big acquisitions about a year into the acquisition, our then different CEO, but the then CEO said something's not right around here. And I think it has to do with the culture. And what we started hearing people say is, you know, in my department, it's this way, but it's not like that over here. Or it used to be like this, and it's not like that anymore. And so we started talking to both employees um, 
who had been with the company for a while and employees who are part of the newly acquired company. And I remember someone saying to me from the newly acquired company is, well, what is the culture around here? You said it's not right, but what is it? And we realized we hadn't defined it because we all kind of said we knew what it looked and felt like to us. Mm-hmm. But all these people coming in and, and think of it, there are more of them than what we had in existence. So we had, we had 10,000 employees. We acquire 17,000 employees. There's not even a one-to-one ratio to teach you what that culture is about. So we had to go through and start to define that culture. And we took that lesson and we learned. And as we started to grow and as we did a big acquisition in 2015 to really form Westrock, which was two companies coming together, we said in that kind of integration stage, what do we want that to look like? What are the values of the organization? So that, um, and we didn't just have a bunch of senior executives sit in a room and say, this is what the values are. We had senior executives say, here's what I think they are. But then we also did focus groups out in plants and mills and across the globe and said to people, what do you like about the organization that you're coming from? And what do you want Westrock to look like as we've started to form this company um, of these kind of conglomerate companies put together. What does that look like? What does that mean to you? What does success look like? And there was a lot of iterations of top down, bottoms up and going back through that. And so as we kicked that off, people had a common theme to hang on to and something to look at to say when things weren't going well or when they were going great, it's because of these things. It's because of things like respect, integrity, excellence are all important to us as we start to think about the new organization. So I think that intentionality is so important. And I think a lot of times people just say, well, culture is organic. It'll happen. Yeah, I, I, you're right about being intentional. I, and I do. So, so my follow up question to that is, are, how are values and culture related? Because I'm not sure that values are culture or culture are val- is values. Yeah. Is no, you're right. But how are those related? Yeah, I think, you know, if you think about culture, it becomes around beliefs. I think if you think about measuring or trying to be intentional about culture, it's about setting expectations. Mm-hmm. It's about recognizing when those expectations are met or not met. And then it's about rewarding. And that's, I don't mean that necessarily just by compensation, but it's about so recognizing and reinforcing, I should say, is kind of the second piece. How do I reinforce when you're doing something well? Or how do I coach you when you're not? And then how do I recognize or reward you? So if I set expectations, if I reinforce those expectations, and then I recognize you in the right way, I start to create what I want because the expectations should align. And what I think values do is they help in that expectation setting piece of it. So now I'm going to set expectations that we're going to work together collaboratively and our values of integrity and respect tie into what collaboration means. I'm going to reinforce when it's going well, or I'm going to coach you when that's not going well. And then I'm going to recognize when we've had success. Yeah. That recognition is a big part. I I just love the idea that being intentional, right? It's, it seems difficult maybe to put a process around culture, but maybe that process is about being intentional. Yeah. making the right decisions. What what were the things that you, um, I'm sure there was a big difference in sitting in a boardroom with the C-level executives talking about values and then going out into the field and doing focus groups talking about values. Um, talk about those differences and the kinds of things that you learned in, in doing those focus groups. Yeah. I mean, what was interesting was, is that they weren't that those um, while the conversations are different a little bit um, and while a lot of times the executives because 
they've been in sort of this diligence and thinking about process might be a little further ahead than maybe the employee base. I think the thing that was so interesting is, is when you started to bring the data together, you found a lot of the same words going over and over and over again. And so there really weren't those differences. Um, there were really a lot of similarities. Now, you got down into certain words and you know, you'd sit at the executive side and they said, you know, I really like accountability and that's or responsibility is a word that sounds really good. And then you went to the field and they were like, um, that doesn't resonate with me. What about accountability? Right. And so you kind of had this iteration, but the essence of what those things were was not dramatically different. It was, there were a lot of similarities, I think, in what those, those things were and what they, and so I think if you get into a plant or a mill, having a good culture and having a set of values means this. It means that we're going to be able to produce a great product. It means that our, you know, our cut the quality of that. There, people get it on time. They'll be excited to use it. That's no different than what our executives want, right? They want our customers to be happy. They want quality products. They want those things to happen. Um, the scale at which they're looking at is different, but a lot of it was surprisingly very similar. And how's your experience then, um, at Westrock, similar or different to other organizations, right? Do you find that, gosh, you know, everybody works here for because they want they want similar things out of the organization, and we just have to crystallize those. That becomes culture. You know, it, it was a different in organization. Was Westrock unique in some ways? I think you know. I think it is. Um I think there's a lot of similarities. It's, you know, certainly harder. Like Restrock went through some growth periods where you kind of stopped and, and almost forced yourself to be intentional. I think in other large organizations, if you don't have those events, you're kind of maybe changing the tires while the car is moving. Mm -hmm. um, and so you're trying to do that, which makes it a little bit harder to do, but you can still do that. So I think about a company like Delta has has this what I think is a, is a very intentional culture now I think it kind of went through some iterations where there was pause and stop and let's think about it um, but the bus was kind of moved or the plane I should say was kind of right. moving at the time that that was going on because it wasn't having these events now since I've left they've had several events and probably had to think through that whole piece of it um, if I go back to thinking about Navigator or even the work that we've just done at, at Outmatch we've been intentional about thinking about where is growth going to take us and I think you know, as we look at all the disruption in business today, I think those companies that we see that will come out of this, I mean, certainly you've got to have a good business idea that's not going to get cannibalized. But I think if you've got that business idea and you can put that culture on it, you're going to be a lot more successful along the way. There are, I yeah, did work I for an organization where culture was not even in the vocabulary. Mm -hmm. It doesn't exist today. Yeah, right. Okay. Right, right. So, so that's interesting. Um, these organizations that, and I, I love the idea about. I said this just a minute ago, but being intentional about culture. Um, if you expect change or expect something, just like any other part of the business, any other outcome from the business, you have to be intentional about the culture. That's right. It's a very it's real thing. Yeah. Again, set the expectation, just like you do, set the expectation for the revenue that you want. If you're not getting the revenue you want, you're reinforcing that. Or when you are getting it, you're reinforcing it in some way. Same thing with culture. And then when you get to where you want to be, you recognize and reward it. Culture is no different. So let's talk um, about about uh, human capital trends. So what are, what are some of the trends that you see um, – 
in your previous work and the market and the business environment today, what are some of those those human capital trends that we should be watching for? Yeah, I mean, I think they're kind of upon us as we speak about it. So I mentioned the word disruption. Mm-hmm. Um, think about all the things that are happening. Um, I mentioned kind of coming out of school and having these great ideas about jobs that didn't exist. I think today someone coming out of school has a great idea about a job that doesn't exist. They go out and create a company. And it's mm-hmm. and people are doing that and they start to sell things. You know, in the paper and packaging space, um, some of our senior executives met a woman who said, I saw a need and so I've created this packaging company using 3D printing and doing all these things, right? She's kind of created that. That's disruption as it starts to happen along the way. I think so technology, so, and she's using technology. Technology is disrupting how we do work. Our supply chains of how we do work are being disrupted because how the modalities of how we get things from point A to point B are changing, and that's impacting our workforce because now we need different skills. I mean, I think about the fact of, you know, today it's not just, I mean, I thought, remember when we went, just went to kind of starting to do work on our phone and that seemed right. so different. Well, mm-hmm. today it's not just working on our phone. It's how are we using chatbots? How are we using, you mm-hmm. know, different analytics and algorithms? How is it that you know that when I've clicked here and the next time I open, all of a sudden I've got, you know, an ad for something in my box. All of those things are starting to impact the workforce and what that looks like. It means that back to that part where somebody is being entrepreneurial, our workforce is not all going to be consist of employees anymore. It's going to be employees. We're going to have contractors like we've had, but we've also got these gig workers who are coming in where they're doing multiple jobs. You know, I'm an Uber driver. I'm, I had this happen to me, I think when I was in Dallas, um, my, my guy, the guy said, I'm an Uber driver, I um, have a catering business, and I'm mm-hmm. a barber. That impacts mm-hmm. human capital and how we think about it because we've got to start to think about if we want this talent, this if we want this talent of this fellow who's a barber and I've got a business that needs barbers, how do I accommodate that so that he can go do these other things? Because he's not going to stay if he doesn't get to do that. So that's a trend in there. So what's the kind of workforce that we've got? What does that look like? With all of this change, it means that we need to innovate as companies. So diversity plays a big part in how we really get to innovation. And diversity from how, it's from how we think, what our experiences and our backgrounds are, and really, you know, how we've grown up. And so I think diversity at all different levels, not just the, the common ways that we think about diversity, but really having differences are going to really impact our business. And so it's another human capital trend as we think about that. And then I think last time we talked about technology and business and disruptors, it's how are we utilizing technology in HR and how are we creating this experience for our employees? Because again, when I go in to buy a pair of Nike shoes, I get to customize the color of my laces or my stripes. I want my business experience to feel that same way. So that's kind of a trend and kind of macro as we, as we think about that. And then certainly I want to develop sort of the skills or how are you upskilling me to build but in these jobs? So of those trends, um, changes in the workforce, diversity, technology disruption aren't necessarily over the course of history new ideas, right? Technology mm-hmm. has been disrupting business for, for a long time. Um what is it what is it about now that makes these feel new and 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 like fresh trends and challenges in in the workforce? I think it's the pace at which they're happening. 
And I think that it's, we are constantly wired in so that pace continues to go on. So if you think about this, I remember getting my first Palm Pilot, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I think, do too. And, yeah. So you go from the Palm Pilot to the BlackBerry. But think about the time that it took to go from the Palm Pilot to the BlackBerry and then from the BlackBerry to the iPhone. Those were years in between. Today, we're looking at things that are saying, I've got this idea and they're coming to market in six months or a year or something. That cycle of how we innovate is so much faster than what it used to be. And so we're we're constantly having to look at that. I think you combine what makes this different too is that we're constantly wired in. So we're thinking about things differently. I remember my dad's first cell phone was this huge kind of suitcase thing that he would lug around with him. Right. And so, and he needed certain things for it to actually work and cell towers. So when we went to the beach, this big lunking thing never worked. So he wasn't really working occasionally. Maybe he had to get on a conference call from a landline, but he didn't have a laptop. He wasn't plugged in. And so how he worked was very different than how you and I work today, where I'm talking to him on one side and I'm also typing an email to you on the the same way because the pace at which we're working is different. And so I think those things are different. But to your point, there are some things that are the same. I think it's just like generations, right? Every time a new generation comes in, we say, oh, those kids, right? Our generation, you know, baby boomers said about Gen Xers, oh, those kids, Gen Xers said about millennials and so on. I think that's the same thing on the workforce, but there are differences. I think as well. Yeah. And I love that the, the pace of change is, is an important factor. Let's talk a little bit about diversity. I don't, I don't, I don't really know how to apply the pace of change is faster for diversity, but I will agree that diversity feels very fresh and urgent, maybe more so today than ever. Why is that? I think, you know, it, so if we think about it kind of connected to pace and change, it's we've talked a lot about it for a really long time, but we haven't done the things we need to do to make it stick. Right. So I think we've had these diversity initiatives. We're going to go out as an organization. We're going to recruit diverse people. But then we haven't put the infrastructure in in a lot of places that say, let's make that successful. How do that? How do we stay? I was with an organization and we looked at diversity and we looked and we said, oh, we're doing great on the hiring side. And then as an organization, we looked and we said, uh, and we're losing as many people as we're hiring. So what's the infrastructure that we have that allows diversity to kind of stay through that organization? You know, if you say as an organization, gosh, we want people who think differently. And then we hire people who think differently and they come in and we're like, what is wrong with Jason? This guy we hired, he totally thinks about things in the wrong way. You're not going to stay. So I think what we're saying now that's different about that is, is how do we let Jason come in, think differently, and how do we maybe onboard him in a different way? How do we retain him? And how do we really start to get Jason, if we like what he's doing, to bring two friends, we'll bring two friends and so on. And we start to grow the Jason crowd and really start to get us to think differently. And so I think that what we're seeing, and as we look at the data, organizations who've done this well, are showing us that they've got more innovation, their stock price is higher, they are better places to work, and all of those things start to come together. So how do we keep doing that? Yeah. Well, I'm I'm all for growing the Jason crowd. I mean, I you know I can't well, I have to I have to be all for that. No, but um, but but I do I do like the, the also the notion that it's diversity in thought and, and diversity in the way. People think how you grow that, how you make people feel comfortable and and safe with those different thoughts. It's a really important part about that. And I would also think just 
because technology has connected more people in the world, you also have just more diversity because more people are connected. More ideas are mixing together to yeah. make one bigger idea. And, and that really speeds up uh, the need for more diverse thought as well. Well, I think there's that. I mean, think about um, someone used a term the other day, which I loved, which was globalization, right? We're hmm. global organizations, yet we've got to kind of also think about the local impacts of what that that looks like. And so, again, if we think from a macro perspective, and if you're a CEO in a global organization, you're looking across the world and you've got to have those different components and you've got this more diverse workforce, hopefully, as you go. But how do you make sure all of those people feel that belonging? And then how do you take that in turn and sell to a global economy? And, and so now you want to mirror what that customer base looks like so that someone mm-hmm. says, oh, you, you get me. I understand that. So when you were in a role that was um, an HR, an HR, you know, functional role, what, what were the three metrics that you used to manage your business? So I think as we looked at it, certainly as an HR generalist and even as a talent professional, when I led talent, you know, we were looking at things like what is our employee engagement? What does that look like? How are we engaging employees? And while those employees don't report to you, it's about what are we doing as an organization? Um, From a talent perspective, it's starting to tell us things like what do we need? um, How might we need to develop our managers if our employees aren't engaged? And what are some things that we need to do and look at differently as we go through those? So engagement becomes kind of a measure of health, if you will, for the organization. I think the other thing that we look at is back to kind of what are the types of, so we talked a little bit, there's, there's a whole set of them. I'll just focus maybe on three of them to kind of connect to where we talked about, but we look at who are we hiring? So we look at hiring metrics, who's coming into the organization. Are we bringing in diversity? Where are we getting different types of skills from an organization? How are those skills relating to the organization? And we connect that in a way as we start to think about performance. So as we look at who are we bringing in, how do we tie that to how people are performing? Because in turn, that should start to look at how is the organization performing? So if we're performing well, our people are engaged. We've got organizational health that we start to look at becomes a component of that piece of it. Mm-hmm. And it starts to look at that, that belonging piece of it. So that becomes another measure as we started to think about that. And then I think there's this mobility measure. So how are we looking at how mobile people are in their careers? Mobility could mean, are you, are we sending people to different locations? But it can also mean mobility from a promotion standpoint. So if we're doing our jobs, if we're helping develop and build skills on people, are they growing their careers? And again, it's not just growing their careers up. We're just looking at talent movement. Are people moving up the chain? Are they moving across the chain? And are they building? And so how are we doing in that area also becomes important. So I could send here and give you like 50 measures, but those are three that I think really, if we think about the health of an organization from an HR perspective, mm-hmm. kind of start to tie back to some of the other things we were talking about. Great. Thank you. I have two, two last questions for you that we, we can, we can, we could talk for hours, right? But um, I want to I want to talk a little bit about mentors. You know, you've 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 been in a lot of places, a lot of different roles. You've obviously met a lot of people. You've thought pretty deeply about all these things. I'm guessing that somehow you were influenced by a mentor or or more than one one person. 
do you have a mentor? Have you had mentors in your career? And uh, tell me a little bit about those. Yeah, I, I think I would say probably mentorship for me has come more informally. Um, I think from a formal perspective, I was lucky kind of moving from that manager to director role. I had a boss who said, we're going to get you a coach, coach different than a mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, a coach yeah. says to you, wow, that was not really smart, what you just did. And you should probably think about doing it differently. Or you should go do this. Mentors say to you, well, have you considered? Might you think about? And so along the way, you know, I've also worked for some really great people. And what I've found is um, as my bosses move on in a lot of times, I don't really separate myself. I just move from, they move from from me from boss to mentor. Mm -hmm. So um, I think about moving, you know, as I, left Delta and went to this small consulting firm. I still keep that small consulting firm and the CEO from that consulting firm. I think of him as a mentor. He's a person who I call and say, Hey, I'm making this job change. What do you think about this? Or I'm here's some ideas that I have. What do you think about that? What's great is in turn, I feel like I get calls from him that say, Hey, we're thinking about some things. What do you think about? So it's a really nice relationship. I have a CHRO that I worked with who retired at the ripe old age of 50. Hmm. Um, and she's still someone though that I go to and say, Hey, she's somebody I went to and I went to outmatch and said, okay, so I'm, I'm getting there. I've got this role. It's not really well-defined. I'm trying to kind of find my way. And I had lunch with her and another, um, colleague of ours, our chief accounting officer. And I looked to sort of both of them and, and he looked at me and said, so just grab something and own it. Right. Those are the things that mentors kind of along the way. But I also think that reverse mentoring is good. So I've also picked, I mentioned to you the, the gentleman who started our campus program. Um, and he's at a different point in his career than I am. I call him sometimes and say, tell me what you think about this. Because I want to understand sort of what does that look like or how do you start to think about some different things? And look, he's given me some very candid advice along the way. And so that reverse mentoring to me is just as important as what you kind of get from either peer or more senior level mentors. I've realized that it takes a village to make me kind of operate. And so there's a whole bunch of people who are kind of helping along the way. Well, I say... I say it takes a village almost once a week just trying to to organize the household, you know. So mm-hmm. <laughs> certainly if you think over the course of a career, it definitely takes a village. And, and I, I love the idea. I love your explanation of the difference between a coach and a mentor, too. Uh, there's a time for, for both of those things. Right. But, um, you know, you, one is one thing and, and one is the other. So it's it's important yeah. to know that. And I do like the idea that, you know, there, there are people – at all levels of an organization that you go to for some type of mentorship, it's not just, well, the, you know, the CEO of this company is my mentor and the CEO of this company is my mentor. It's like mentorship happens in a variety of ways. Yeah, for sure. All right. So my last question for you, what, what advice would you give to someone starting their career? I mean, I think I would say be open and and be um, trying to think of the, I don't want to say passion, it's not the right word that I'm looking for. I think it's about being open to new ideas. I think it's about being and be uncomfortable is probably what I would say to you. I think in the times that I've felt 
that the most success I think is when the times when I've gone into places where I felt uncomfortable yet supported, I think is important, but trying new things, trying something that's different, something that pushes you out of your comfort zone. And that might mean you've got to move to a new city. It might mean that you're starting something new and you're the new person. You know, we have an intern who just left us at, at Outmatch. And I said, you know, you're going to be the new person when you start these things, but guess what? not too long after you're the new person, somebody else is going to be new, but you'll be new in different things along the way. Be okay with being new. Be okay with asking because that new time is the time that you get to ask any kind of question you want. It's not when someone looks at you and says, well, you should know that because you're new. So you shouldn't really know much about any of those things. And so really enjoy that time, that newness that you have. Get Let yourself, it's because you feel uncomfortable when you're new, but let yourself really explore it, enjoy it, and continue to try those things that really make you feel like, ah, I don't really know if I want to go do this, right? I think for me, you know, to kind of come out of this very traditional big company role and an HR leader role and say, and being a little more senior in my career, aka my age, um, and to start to say, hey, I'm going to go do something completely different starts to challenge you. And, and so I don't think it just stops when you're young, you know, kind of early in your career. I think it's along the way. I had lunch with our CFO at, at Westrock as I, um, right after I left and he looked at me and he said, I, I'm kind of surprised by this career choice that you've made. I thought you'd go be like a chief learning officer or I could see you saying that, but you're doing this thing. And I said, my gosh, I'm going to work for this company that's growing, that's innovative, that's cool. And they want this old lady to come work for them. Of course I said, yes. <laughs> Well, I love the idea that doing things that are new at any time of your career is, is excellent advice for someone starting their career. Don't get on one track and necessarily stay on that one track. Yeah. Right. Find and challenge yourself with new things. Well, thank, thanks so much for that. And thanks for the conversation. I mean, I, yeah, I literally, I'm, I'm sitting here writing down, you know, all these questions that that I still have for you. And uh, so we'll have to, we'll have to do that over lunch, but Sounds thanks good. very much. Thrilled to work with you and really excited to have, um, have you talk to our, our listening audience. So I appreciate it, Robin. Thank you. Thanks for including me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to the talent playbook podcast with our guest, Robin Stenson, chief solutions officer at outmatch. If you want to learn more about Robin, Start at LinkedIn. Robin's last name is spelled S-T-E-N-Z-E-L. You can subscribe and download this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and Outmatch.com in the now streaming menu. Thanks to Robin for her time. Also, thanks to our friends at the C-Suite Network for their support and distribution, especially to Mitch, who always seems to have time for my questions. Thank you also to Chris Gardner for the technical production and for creating the Talent Playbook podcast theme music. If you enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe to the podcast and please rate it. Even leave a comment. Not only do we like the feedback, but it also helps others find the podcast too. Until next time, this is Jason Ferrara saying thanks for listening.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.